Welcome to the One Life Podcast, a conversation about taking risks, dreaming big dreams, and living life on purpose. Today's episode is brought to you by Strange Bird Media, a Nashville-based full-service production company providing video, photography, graphic, and web design. As creative content developers, they work with agencies and brands and artists alike to produce high-end media solutions with a fresh touch and unique style. Check out their website at strangebirdmedia.com. Today's guest is an incredible speaker and author, founder of The Last Well, a nonprofit organization dedicated to eradicating waterborne illnesses and spreading the gospel in Liberia. He's been in full-time ministry for 20 years. He and his wife, Julia, have been married for 21 years. They have three beautiful children and live in Dallas, Texas. Will you welcome Todd Phillips to the One Life Podcast? Thank you so much for being here with us today, man. It is truly an honor. Hey, I'm fired up. Yay! You guys are great. I've been watching you on Facebook. I think it's incredible what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's awesome. So, Todd, you and I actually go way back. I was trying to remember, maybe you can help me, when I first met you. I know at least the season was, I think, when you were leading Metro Bible Study in San Antonio, right? Yeah, Jenny. It was. Uh, I'm trying to think. I started there in um, 90... Nine and it went through about 2003. Okay. And yeah. so, and for anybody who doesn't know, Metro Bible Study was actually a huge deal. For our listeners who don't know, would you just explain kind of what Metro was and how you came to be a part of it? Yeah, I, yeah, sure. Now, it was one of the most exciting times of my life. So I always like going back and just uh, yeah. reliving it at some level. We, we had a, a, a ministry called Metro Ministries and we had a up, uh, up in Austin, Texas, just about an hour north of San Antonio, we had Austin Metro on Tuesday nights every week, and then San Antonio Metro was on Monday nights. And for about two years in there, it was about a five-year run, about two years of that, we had a thing called Air Metro. It ran off Air Force Base in San Antonio. Oh, nice. Um, so just a lot of, there was a lot of really cool stuff that came out of it. It was an evangelistic uh, ministry that was meant to reach out to mainly uh, young adults, I would say from kind of 18 to 30. We, we averaged, you know, kind of the low 20s was the average age of the group. And <laughs> we, had a, we had a couple thousand people in, in Austin and a few thousand in San Antonio uh, on a weekly basis. And it, the whole point was originally was to try to reach out to um, young adults who uh, both believers, yes, but it was really focused on getting believers, followers of Christ to bring their friends from work, you know, to an environment on a Monday or a Tuesday night. Yeah, it was at a church, but it was a very casual setting and, and, and really encourage believers but but every time we you know we got together we were preaching the gospel the good news mm-hmm. and, and offering an opportunity for people to you know uh, to not only accept Christ as their lord and savior but engage get engaged in this young adult community of faith that we were trying to foster in both cities so that's what it was yeah it was it was awesome and that uh 18 to 30 rule i kind of broke that a little bit cuz i in 99 four jenny when you can you <laughs> four years old. i remember todd let me slip in sneak in even yeah. though i was still in high school but you know i think it was really just i was kind of boy crazy at the time and i was there checking out all the cute college boys but sure. what's neat is you know I, i'm pretty sure that's why we all came to check out you know the opposite sex and see see what was happening there, but we, we encountered God when we came anyway. So it was incredible, but yeah. And I just, you know, can't start this interview without just taking a minute to say 
thank you to you. I'm so grateful for you, Todd, and for the impact that you've had in my life. God just used you and your story in such a powerful way. And I know I'm just one of many who've been impacted by what you do. So I just want to say a big thank you. Thanks, Jenny. That's very sweet of you to say. It was a blessing to be down in San Antonio for the time I was and some of the strongest relationships and I think most impacting relationships that I um, was able to build as a relatively young Christian even at that time were were in San Antonio and, and especially at Castle Hills First Baptist Church where we housed it for so long. So. Yeah. And your parents, by the way, great <laughs> influence on my life. So yeah. It's a, yeah, they're you. awesome. Thank you. You know, it's been amazing just to watch from a distance the beauty of social media is you can kind of see what everybody's up to. Yeah. And, then, you know, when we got to meet in a big transition season in, in my life, you were, you know, was, we got to spend a short period of time, but man, it was very influential and impactful for me. And so I have to say thank you for that as well. And, you know, it's as you look across your life and some of the amazing things you've done, 20 plus years of ministry, that's just, that's yeah. amazing. You see people who, kind of throwing the towel. And so that right there in itself is impressive. But what you've been doing with your nonprofit and helping bring clean water to folks in Liberia, that is amazing. I can't wait for us to get our, give our listeners an opportunity for you to hear about what you're doing there here in a second. But, you know, you have your own story of how God invaded your life and changed everything. And we're all about life change. We're all about mm-hmm. living our lives on purpose. And could you just share a little bit of that story, how your faith journey began and how God really just got a hold of you and changed everything for you? Yeah, Chris, thanks for asking. Um, I uh, I didn't grow up in the church at all, knew very little about God or the Bible or religion for that matter um, until I was 24. And uh, I was actually in a fast forward to 24 from birth to 24, no background or engagement in, in church at all. At 24, I was in Denver, Colorado. I was actually in a, in a relationship with a woman that I was not married to. We were living together. We were in a physical relationship together, like like all the relationships of my past were because I just had no, you know, I had no moral compass, no, no plumb line to work from, you know, that, that relationship was a very destructive one and and certainly not healthy or, or redeeming for either one of us. We're up in Denver living together. We were pursuing the dollar. I say often that the dollar was my little G God or the pursuit of it. And, uh, I was, that's really what it was about. So regardless of what the business was, if it was ethical, unethical, you know, helpful or not to someone, it was all about making making money. And that was my focus. And so we found ourselves in Denver opening some businesses. That's the the world I was living in, 180 degrees away from God, having no interest in God, no background in religion or specifically Christianity, and, and really pursuing a very self-destructive and others destructive life when it really came down to it. And so that was in 1994. I was 24 years old. And in the midst of all that, uh, I got a call from my mother one afternoon evening and uh, she really hated what I was, what, what was going on. You know, she just, she yeah. could not believe where my life had taken me and the choices I had made. And she was calling me one night. She said, "Hey, uh, one of your old friends, Todd Riddle. I just saw him at a at a concert. He's become a Christian, and he sings Christian music, and he has a Christian album out. And this is a guy that I used to drink with and do cocaine with in college years and years wow. and years before. All the wrong stuff. And uh, that didn't jive with anything that I knew about Todd Riddle. I hadn't seen the guy in 10 years. But it really disturbed me that that she even had that story to tell about him. <laughs> and and, uh, and I know now that God was kind of wooing me through this process. But I remember getting up a few nights later at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I always slept like a rock every night. I can't tell you before that time. And I, if I'd ever woken up in the middle of the night, but I did that night about two or three o'clock in the morning, a couple of days after my mom called me. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to settle this. I'm going to call information 
on the phone to get Todd Riddle's number in Austin and find out what's up with this whole Christian scam, this thing he's doing. <laughs> and so I, I, re- I remember calling. I got the information. I got all the information, got his phone number, and then I called him Collect. Do you guys remember Collect? <laughs> Dude, I'm, loving, know, I'm like, sitting here like chuckling at information. information. Yeah, I right? Mean, that's, I, was, yeah. I did a rotary phone on the wall. Yeah, I mean, very just, close to that. Right? Did, yeah. <laughs> so crazy. Oh, we remember all of that. We were part of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were like six months north of the rotary phone. But, uh-huh. but you know, <laughs> okay. yeah. so, so I, I called right. information. I call collect, and then and for, the, for the people listening to that that are like twelve or fifteen, right? Collect right. call is means that they're going to collect the charges. So I called him with, with an operator. That's so the funny. The operator had him collect Crazy. the charges. So so he accepted the charges for the phone, the long distance phone call, and then in the uh, middle of the night, yeah, two or three o'clock in the morning. Oh Golly. my gosh! That's and funny. Uh, I said, "Hey, Riddle," and he goes, "Is this Phillips?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "I said, what are you doing?" He said, "I'm sleeping. It's two a.m. You know, it's the end." Of the- <laughs> yeah. What do you think I'm doing? What do most people do? So, so right. anyway, so we got on the phone. I said, look, I'll let you go back to sleep. But I just got a question. I, saw, I know you saw my parents a couple of days ago or weeks ago or whatever. They said you're a Christian now and you got a CD out and all this stuff. I just want to know what the scam is. How are you making money off that? What's the real story that you won't tell my mom? And uh, he said, man, Todd, it's just it's not like that. I, I, I became a follower of Jesus and I'm a member of a church in Austin and one of the guys that I that I'm in a singles class with actually funded the CD, and I just go I go sing in churches, and then yeah, people buy the CD, but we use it for ministry work in the church, and then if they can't afford the CD, they get a free one, and I mean, it just none of it made any sense. I said, okay, whatever. If you're just going to stick with that story, fine, and I hung up on him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> thanks for taking, thanks for paying for it. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so a couple of nights later, I couldn't sleep again because it was really disturbing me because he sounded different. He wasn't the same guy. I didn't really understand how to articulate that, but he's just a different guy. It was, the, mm-hmm. it was him, but it wasn't him. So I spent the next month, uh, 30, 40 days, uh, every night, uh, calling him collect. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I would, uh, ask him about his Christianity. I would, uh, cause I figured if I could dismantle any part of his story, I could just dismiss it all. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't. So I was listening to him tell his story and then he would start quoting things from the Bible and he didn't know this, but I, I was going to, disprove him by just, I figured he was just making stuff up mm-hmm. out of the Bible. And so I went and got a Bible out of this old box in my closet that I'd had since elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I started going through it and I couldn't follow him quick enough. So I got a yellow pad, a pad and pencil out and just started writing down all the references. And when I'd hang up with him, I'd go through those 40 references to go see if what he told me was real. Mm-hmm. And so in trying to disprove him, I was reading the whole Bible. <laughs> awesome. It was really an amazing thing. So over that month, I started getting very convicted. God used that whole process to really soften my heart to his truth and who he was and what he offered, not just me, but all all people. That was a very profound month for me. So the last night we talked before I started my relationship with Christ, that moment, uh, he said, listen, every time I tell you to pray with me, you hang up on me. So before you hang up on me, I just want to tell you, I've told you everything over the last month. What I think you ought to do, he told me this, I think you ought to get your keys Go get the CD that I sent you in the mail. Take the plastic off of it um, because he had sent me one of his albums in the mail. He didn't know this. I had been listening to his songs and memorizing them for the whole month. Oh, wow. I knew every song. I could sing them by heart. There were 12 songs on it. It was called Heaven Bound was the name of the CD. Anyway, he said, take the plastic off. Go down to your car. Put the CD in. Hit repeat. You know, play and repeat. Go out on a hillside outside of Denver and go talk to God and just go do what he tells you to do. Mm -hmm. He'll show up. And I said, whatever. And I called him a name or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I hung up on him. I got my keys. I grabbed the CD. I walked down the stairs. I got in the car. I put the CD in. I hit play. I hit repeat. And I went on a hillside. He went to bed that night thinking he'd never hear from me again. 
And I had gone exactly where he told me to go. So I was on that hillside that night for four, three or four hours. I mean, it was almost sunrise by the time I got home. And uh, I met God in that car. I, I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ in that car as real as anything that I have experienced in the 48 years of, of my life to this point. And I doubt I'll ever have anything more tactile and more more profound and more impacting than that moment where I realized I was forgiven for the first time. And so after that point, I drove down from the hillside that night. Shay, the girl that I was living with, said, where were you last night? I said, I know this is going to sound nuts, but I met Jesus in my car. <laughs> I was with the Lord on the mountain. <laughs> and, and, and she goes, wow, that's crazy. And I said, you know, Within the next couple of days, basically, I told her I couldn't, we couldn't be in this relationship. I was going to have to go back to Austin, leave the business that we were at in Denver. She could come with me or have everything. So she stayed in Denver, the business, the car, the condo, everything, the money, all of it. And then I drove back with a friend of mine to Austin and moved in on the living room floor at Todd Riddle's apartment, the guy that shared Christ with me. Wow. So there, there's, there's my story. Oh, that's awesome. I just, I love that so much. Yeah. So amazing. You know what I love? I love what you said when you said that something in his voice sounded different. Like that's the part for me that, you know, when people see somebody or meet somebody and they, they recognize that, that something has been transformed in them, that they're so inquisitive. I mean, I've seen it over and over and over again. People go like, wait a second, like something is different. And And I love that God used this guy to change your life and really ultimately just change your future and your yeah. family. It's such, such a cool deal. Are you guys still connected? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, he's in Austin. He's a Christian counselor now in Austin, Texas. Got an incredibly thriving practice, Christian counseling practice. He and I were on the phone yesterday. Nice. That's yeah, I mean, cool. we've, we've, we've talked in the last few days. Yeah. Very cool. I wonder if his CD's out there on I know. We, now I want to go find it and listen yeah, you to got, it. You know, I don't know where. Uh, you know, it's called Heaven Bound. It's okay. Todd Riddle. We're going to have to find I'm, it. Yeah. If we find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, in the show notes. People can go get it. For cool. sure. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Todd. Something I love about you, you're just an incredible communicator. I mean, I remember hearing you growing up and just, you could hear a pin drop in the room because it's just clearly something God's gifted you to do. And I just wanted you to share for a second for our listeners who are still, you know, on that journey of finding what their calling is, what they were born to do from somebody who's been walking in that for a while. Talk to us about how you found that, how you found your calling and how you started walking in your purpose. You know, it was. I think everybody has a unique experience. Over the last 20 years or so of, of ministry and, and pastoral work inside of a local church and counseling with people and praying with them through marriage challenges and personal crisis and, and just really trying to find direction in God's will for their life, I found some sense of peace in, in this that God really is, I know this is obvious to everyone, but God really is running the show. His timing is really everything. He has a perfect timing in this process. And I think I'm real type A, so it was hard for me as a new believer, as a new follower of Christ, to level down somewhat mm-hmm. uh, and trust God's timing. Yeah. Um, and so for me, though, I mean, the, the calling into ministry, I went to a Southern Baptist church in uh, Austin where Todd Riddle was actually attending. And uh, that was my first kind of formal theological church community experience. My first three years of, of Christian community was at this church, Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin. You know, in Baptist churches, some of your listeners may be familiar with this. I mean, Baptist churches sometimes still do this, but not as much as they used to. The invitation to the front, right? So mm-hmm. you, yeah. you have this calling where you you're, you want to come accept Christ as your, your personal Lord and Savior for the first time. You want to surrender to ministry, be baptized, whatever yeah. those decisions are that, that lean you toward God. You can actually make that decision today by physically walking to the front and speaking to a minister. Right. 
And so I'd say about two or three months into my Christian experience, I was at Hyde Park and they had an invitation and I felt led to walk down, felt led of God to walk down to the front and just say, I'm surrendering to ministry. And I had no idea, you know, what that meant. And, and in, mm-hmm. in that church, it was really cool. I hope this happens in every church, but they would set you up with the senior pastor to sit down with that, the senior pastor for a couple hours within that next week and just talk about what, you know, what brought you to the front and what is feeling called to ministry really entail. And and I would say that conversation with that local pastor at Hyde Park Baptist Church was a real defining moment for me because it gave me a sense of peace in God's timing and also a sense of direction about next steps. And I think a lot of times it tends to be a much harder, uh, more taxing emotionally and, and otherwise process of kind of finding the flow in their relationship with God and what it is that God's wanting them to do with their gifts, their talents, their passions, their words, their actions. But for me, it, it was extremely clear. And I think that is in large part because... I needed a radical transformation Mm -hmm. because of who I was and how God had knit me together in my mother's womb to be. I just needed that kind of salvation experience. And then I think God just knew me well enough to know he needed to put some borders around me pretty quick. Right. You know? That's great. Yeah. So so that was my experience. But I would say for everybody listening, you know, there's there's a balance between two things, I think, in everybody's life. I think there's there is a larger call on our lives that I think most people do miss. Mm -hmm. Um that is different than the daily submission to God and that calling on your life to just, you know, Paul always talked about work with your hands, live a quiet life, you know, do your work as unto the Lord, these kind of admonitions from scripture that just talk about your daily life being your calling. And I get that and I'm completely for it. And theologically it's sound. And the vast majority of our time, effort and energy should be toward that reality. Cause that's most of what we do. Mm-hmm. However, I think there is a, there's a larger umbrella calling yeah. that I think everybody has in their life. If they would only listen to that still small voice. And I think, I think fear and trepidation and doubt and insecurities and all sorts of things keep us from pursuing that. But I I am firmly convinced that every single human being that is a follower of Jesus who has been saved through faith in Christ and has the Holy Spirit living in them and indwelling them, every Christ follower could be used of God to be a Wilberforce for their generation. Now, Wilberforce was a guy that ended slavery in the UK from a call of God on his life and movies made about him. We're studying him in seminary. Just an incredible guy. I always talk about him, but Wilberforce is, you know, for our generation, mm-hmm. people that really do great things for God. And regardless of our human talents or our educational background or our family upbringing, none of that limits us from being used of God like Wilberforce was. And what's exciting about what you do is just you're calling people out to that. You're, you're holding that up as a possibility. And I think that's desperately needed in our culture today. Oh, thanks, Todd. Yeah, no, yeah. that's so good. And you're right. That's that's why we have five kids and stepped out of our full-time <laughs> job to say we yeah. believe that this our mantle it. that we're supposed to carry is to inspire and challenge people to step out. That thing you're talking about, that un, I think it's even hard to put a word to, that thing in your gut to go, I don't know what it is, but I'm supposed mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. And so Because we all have one. Yeah, we all have something we're so born true. to do. And it's and you literally have one life. Yeah. So you so got to go do for it. it. Yeah. So that being said, it was so good. You know, you talked about having this connection and this relationship with with Christ, really the kind of that in-tune hearing God. Give us a moment, this, you know, as we talk about risking and dreaming and living on purpose, I would love to hear from you a risk where you heard God say, hey, it's time for you to take a jump. It's time for you to step out of maybe your comfort zone. What was it? What did it look like in the midst of it and coming out on the other side of it? Or are you in the middle of it? I would love to love to hear that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I talk about when I'm preaching or teaching or talking about God greasing the skids. 
you know, <laughs> either, either through the circumstances of your life or calling you out. I don't know if any of your listeners have, you know, read through or done the Bible study experiencing God. There's a point where there's always this crisis of faith that requires belief in action. Right. And experiencing God really teaches that. And that we're supposed to, as, as Christ followers, look to see where God's moving and joining him in, in what he's already doing. Yeah. And making major adjustments in our life. And we're convicted to move to do that. And that's that point of risk, that leaping out in faith. So I've had the blessing and I call it that. I think it legitimately is. It comes with a burden too, but it's a blessing of opportunities to really step out aggressively and almost you know, from a human sense, illogically and see God do some pretty great things. And the most recent one I would say was in 2013. So what, four years ago when I was preaching at a, a church here in the Dallas area, co-pastoring, if you will. And during that time, I was volunteering kind of on the side on my weekends with this ministry that I helped to start several years before that called The Last Well, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I know. But when I when that two-year contract was up at the church in Dallas, I really thought I was going to go off and become a senior pastor at a church. I'd been pastoring for some time. I'd done evangelistic work when I was younger, but I had kids now. I just figured God was... You know, that's what I was going to be doing next, yeah. senior pastor. And it was in the midst of all that, that I sat down with the board of directors for the last well. They said, you know, Todd, you've been telling us for a year now that we, and because I was just a member of the board at the time and helping to volunteer lead the organization. They said, you've been telling us for a year that someone needs to come in and be the CEO. He needs to, <laughs> he needs to run this thing uh, because it's a God-sized task. It's not going to get done if somebody doesn't just lean into it with everything they got. We think you might be the guy. And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm leaving this pastoral role to go be a senior pastor. I don't want to, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just time for me to do that. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you go pray for a couple of weeks about it? You can come back and tell us exactly the same thing, but we need you to hear that we as a group of five men of God that are in your life believe this is, you know, that God's going to clarify this for you. And I go, well, that's great. And, and I, I'll, I'll go pray about it. But I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was, I it was really, CD. I need to go find a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just, yeah. No, it's true. Chris. So I, I went out for a couple of weeks and the long story short is that, you know, like a pillar of fire on my head from God. And it was clear that he was calling me out of that comfort zone of pastoral ministry and leadership and preaching weekly and all these things that I had become very adept at doing both in human terms and spiritual gifting. I mean, I was I was kind of in the zone and it just seemed mm-hmm. obvious that I would continue to do that, especially at the age of 40, you know, mid 40s. You know, so it's it's that time where you kind of settle in, you right, right. kind of lean into what you're currently doing. Well, God had other plans. And so I came back to the board. I said, look, I, you told me to go pray for two weeks. I did. And God's told me to do this. And I said, here's a couple of challenges. Number one, we don't have any money to pay someone. We, we're sending all the money over to Liberia to preach the gospel and do clean water. So if you guys are serious about this, you, you guys need to come up with the cash to run the U.S. operation. Otherwise, I, I've got to go get a job and I have a passion for pastoral work. So I'm kind of throwing this out as a fleece, you know, to see mm-hmm. if, if this is what we're going to do. If not, I can go pastor a church and take Lastwell with me and try to get that church involved. I mean, I, I didn't believe that Lastwell was going to stop, but I wasn't going to be the guy to run the thing full time. Well, they said, look, we'll do it. And so over the next two or three months, it took about 90 days to work it out. But I went from the church work and full-time position and you know retirement benefits and health insurance and mm-hmm. all the stuff that comes with those roles to nothing. And it's <laughs> just a kind of a flat salary wow. you know, from them, which wasn't as much as I was making at the church before, but they did provide for me. I will say this, that they, I, I've never seen anything quite so cool as these five guys just kind of wrapping themselves around this reality and making it happen. Wow. So I stepped out in faith uh, with God at that point to completely shift my entire life, not just from a church to another church, but from pastoral, internal, community-led, church-based leadership and ministry and preaching to you know, halfway around the world, international mission work in a closet um, <laughs> at one of my board members' marketing companies. Wow. 
You know, so I had 300 staff at McLean. Right. We had about 120 staff at, at Lake Point, and it was just me and a 20-hour assistant. Um, <laughs> Crazy. With the last well, so that was the last time that I stepped. That I can tell you, just a defining moment of just leaping out and trusting God completely and utterly with every single detail of my wow. life. Wow, that's an amazing story, man. Good job, yeah. like listening and doing it because. You're on the other side of it now, but um, you're in the midst of it. It probably seemed crazy. Talk to me about of the five or six risk opportunities you had, how many of those was your wife involved in? What does the conversation look like? Yeah. How did you guys process <laughs> this one? How did she handle it? Yeah. Is she just like, let's go for it? Is it, you know, how's, how's is it, it work? For her? Yeah. You know, it'd be wonderful if it was, a, I came home from the board meeting and said, hey, I, I felt led to do this. Let's go. And she's like, oh, that's awesome. Let's celebrate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sure. It's usually yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just didn't, and I think it's important for your listeners to hear that too. You totally, know, exactly. You, you can you can summarize a story, and ultimately, in hindsight, you look back and it's all wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. Or right. even the challenges have meaning, but in the midst of it, they don't. Oh, they're, right. They're, they're unsure. You're uncertain. So she was. She spent the first year thinking I had made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she actually went to some Christian counselors, friends, and went through about a year where she said, "You know, I just we're not on the same page with this choice that he's made, and I need to understand what it is that." I need to own in this and what, you know, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? And so I, you know, to give her incredible credit, totally. she went through the hard, deep work of, you know, the questions of why it is she was feeling the way that she was. And ultimately a year later, I think it was a combination of the counseling and those wise people speaking in her life, but also me having the patience and it was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wanted her to be on board day one. Sure. And so yeah. to, to, at any level, encourage me with some sense of patience through that process was nothing less than a miracle. And so I think it gave her time to walk through that and then come out the other end a year later going, and you know what? This does fit your gifts. This is large enough for your personality, your passions, et cetera. And I support you. Man, that's so good. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, there's another fact in this equation. How, how old were your kids on this last one? My oldest, Parker, was uh, 13, 14. Okay. And then my two daughters were 12 and 10. It's a pivotal moment That's in all of their deal. lives yeah. as well. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, logic would have put me in a pastoral role yeah. and just right. said, hey, just be responsible. You got kids in junior high and high school. I mean, I'm telling you, it was a, that two weeks of prayer was a long time. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. It was. It was it was an arduous process. And when I came back, though, I was very certain of exactly what God wanted me to do. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head. At the end of the day, that's what you have to do. You have to get your heart before God and you have to hear from him. That's the thing that's going to carry you through those hard days like you talked about. So that's incredible. Well, Todd, tell us about the last well. We've kind of been talking about um, what that venture looked like for you. But tell us about what you do through the last well, how people can get involved in what you're doing and where they can find you. Okay, this is what I'm very passionate about. You guys could go get a sandwich right now. Hey, we're taking notes. We're taking notes. Go for it. Okay. So the last well is a a ministry that was started with myself as the pastor of this church in DC and these 4,000 young adults, basically, that saw this movie, Amazing Grace, and it really gave, gave them a passion. They came to me and said, hey, Pastor Todd, how come we can't see something end in our generation like Wilberforce did mm. when slavery ended. Yeah. Right? So I was like, well, we can. I mean, God's looking for Wilberforces in our generation. He's looking for Wilberforce moments. It's not supposed to be something we read about from 200 years ago. This stuff should be happening every day. Right. And they listened. It was like there was this receptivity among the hearts of these thousands of young adults. The average age was about 27. And so we went through a two-month process of just asking two questions of God. First of all, what's the worst place in the world no one wants to go? So of all the 184 <laughs> countries, yeah. what's, the most, what's the most jacked up place that, that we can go? So when we shine God's love through the gospel and provision, 
of some practical way that it will shine brightly, blindingly bright. Mm-hmm. And so we, and then the second question was, what's the greatest physical need that that country will need for us to earn the right to share the gospel? So those are the two questions. Worst place, greatest need. Worst place, greatest need. Long story short, two, three months went by. We came to terms with the fact that this little West African country called Liberia was legitimately the worst place in the world, the most challenging place. And, I, and I'll qualify that. I think you'll find this interesting. Number one, it was the second poorest country in the world at the time, according to the UN. The CIA keeps a misery index of countries that are the most miserable to live in. There's an index. For wow. Them. And, and Liberia was the second most miserable place in the world. And USA Today's subsidiary named it the most corrupt country in the world in 2009. Wow. And they had just come out of a 14-year civil war where three, 400,000 people had died. So you had poverty, misery, uh, and corruption, and civil war. NGO, non-governmental organizations, government agencies, Christian groups, they were just running out of that country and leaving it for dead. And these young adults saw that and said, that's where we want to go. That's awesome. Which is really cool. So we, we, we found it. So Liberia became the place. It was very, very clear very quickly. It took us a couple of weeks to figure this out, that water was the greatest need. We had 100 people a day dying from lack of clean water in that country alone. So the, the mission became provide clean water, access to clean water to the entire nation of Liberia, every man, woman, and child, border to border, and share the gospel with every person we serve by 2020. They wanted to have an end date just like Wilberforce did. We had, a, at the time, it was a 12-year project to reach uh, a nation of 5 million people in 12 years with the gospel and clean water. It had never been done before. No nation, no developing country in the history of humanity has ever been reached with universal access to clean water, let alone the gospel. Wow. It's incredible. And so that's anyway, that's the background. So now we've got this mission of bringing the gospel and clean water to this little West African country. And by God's blessing and to his credit and glory, as of last week, we're eight and a half years into this deal. And We've reached one point, now it's 1.6 million Liberians with the gospel and clean water. And we now have 36 months left between now and December of 2020 and 850,000 people left to reach. So about half the country didn't have access to clean water and we're going to reach all those. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Good job, you guys. Good job, God. I would love to hear. I'm sure you've got so many stories of just God moving in amazing ways. Like our time is short. Like just give me that story. You're like, everybody's got to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Some really good. So I'm going to give you two really, really short ones instead of one short one. Okay. So first one is about two years ago, we have a partner conference now every year in August. And it's all of our non-governmental agencies, like the Liberian government, the president, President's office, vice president, the queen and chief of Liberia, they all come. And all these partners come into this meeting. Well, two years ago, we had a gentleman stand up and and I said, will you just tell the story about what's going on in the most rural areas? And he stood up and in about two minutes, he basically told the story. He said, look, none of you in this room may know this. And certainly the Americans in this room don't know this, but the Liberian people, because of the work that's been going on at the time for six years, they now believe they've gone from hopelessness to hope, from lack of faith to full faith that God is going to bring their children clean water and no more children are going to die. He said, in addition to that, right now, as we're in this partner conference, there are hundreds, not tens or dozens, hundreds of people that have taken it upon themselves to walk from their village down the walking paths to a more rural village. And and they're saying this, the water is coming and Jesus is bringing it. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, that's the coolest story. So that's awesome. So that's, that movement has been afoot for two years. And so even months, if not a year or more, before we get to these villages, they've already heard that God's bringing the water. That's so Um, awesome. And and one more. So I had one of my friends, Peter, he's a pastor in Liberia. He went into a small village where there was a a mosque in there and there was a Muslim contingency within that small village. I think it's about a hundred people in the village. 
and there was a mosque, a hut at the end of the of the village. Well, they brought the well in, and they were dedicating the well. Pastor Peter came up as a Liberian pastor and preached the gospel. And the Muslims came over, the animist religion came over, the, all everybody came over to listen. And many people gave their lives to Jesus that day. Well, the Muslim imam, their leader, came up to Peter after it was over and said, is your water available to everyone? You said this was water freely for everyone. Is it for my people too? And Peter said, yes, it is. Again, your listeners may not know this, but especially in Africa, Muslims will bring water and then force you to convert to be able to to drink the water or or attend their schools, whatever that might be. So there's a lot of quote unquote conversion happening through that force, that coercion. So that's the way they do it. And so this Muslim imam was like, sure, this is free, right? Not believing Peter. Well, Peter leaves He's gone for about a week before he comes back. Well, during that time, the the Muslim imam sent his two daughters over each day until Peter got back the next week. Each day, sent his daughters over to get water. And each day they would come back with full buckets. And father would say, did they tell you you had to be a Christian or force you to do anything that you didn't want to do or say anything you didn't want to say? No, they they just said hello and let us come to the water. So the, the Muslim imam came up to Peter when he came back a week later and said, Pastor Peter, I want to know of this Jesus that gives water freely to my daughters. And he was converted to Christianity. Wow. He became a Christ follower, and he and his household were saved that day. Those are the kind of stories that are happening across that country. That's awesome. So how, where could people go check out The Last Well? TheLastWell.org. They can see videos, donate, all of those things there. Yeah, I'm really proud of the site. We had a team of people come together to put it together, and I, I really had a dream of how to tell this story well. And I believe it's been done very well. And I take no credit for that. But I think when people go to the site, they, they, they really will. They'll be able to hear the story, see the story. We have a countdown clock on there to December, you know, 1259 p.m., December 31st, 2020. We've got a map with all the GPS coordinates of our 2,800 plus projects that we have in the field now. Uh, thank you for sharing that, man. We're getting ready to wrap it up. We like to ask a couple questions before we close this thing out. Yeah. And the, here they are. What, what book has changed your life? What habit has changed your life? And what advice would you give the younger you? Book, habit, advice. Let me start with habit. I think one of the things that I've, I I didn't have before I was a Christ follower was was a habit of obedience. And mm, and, I, and I think as a Christian, I always say God's love language is obedience. And that and that can be misinterpreted as though somehow you know God loves us more because we obey. It's not that. It's sure. that he, it enables Him in some sense to use us for His full glory. And so. That habit of obedience was something that was developed over time. It's something I've tried to instill in my kids early on, not just to God, but authority, right? But that's all a shadow of this ultimate authority of God. So I think that habit of obedience has probably made the biggest difference in my life because I, I other than just this deep sense of, of urgency and weight that God has put upon some of these decisions I've made, including to, to do the last well full time, that that deep theological understanding and conviction of obedience has been the driving force for that. And I don't know why it's there and how it's been developed in my life, but it's one of the biggest things that I both see as a benefit to me and a blessing to God's work in me and through me to his glory, but also, you know, in other people's lives as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to do the book thing, but let me let me throw an author at you. And it's, it's a classic. C.S. Lewis was one of the first classic Christian authors that I was introduced to as a young Christian. And so, so I think anything that C.S. Lewis writes, Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, Great Divorce, all, all the great works of C.S. Lewis would be, a, for me, or a must for any Christian. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Now, what advice would you give to the younger you? <laughs> wow. Uh, never burn bridges. 
Oh, I like um, that. That's good. I, uh, young in my, not even just the younger me, but the younger Christian me. So, I mean, up until I was about 35, even maybe, gosh, I was very stunted in this area. I, I was so passionate about my relationship with Jesus. I think I met, I, I know I missed opportunities to love people and offer them grace mm. when they didn't understand my Jesus or my passion. And I missed yeah. opportunities yeah. early on. And, and I think burnt bridges and, and trusting that God will bring someone else in those people's lives. But as many people as, God may have used to share the gospel with them. I, I think there's a few of those out there that that because of that that willingness in my only child kind of fleshly way to kind of cut ties that they didn't understand me. I, I you know I heard some people in the process sure. early on in my Christian life, and certainly heard a lot of people with that uh, before I became a believer and had the Spirit in me. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. We just can't thank you enough for yeah. your time here. It's been amazing. So before we wrap up again, then go to thelastwell.org. And that's all about yes. The Last Well, the projects that are working on, how they can give, how they can donate. But how can someone get in touch with you if they go, man, I get your story. I want to hear you. What's the one? What's the best way they could reach out to you? Yeah, they can go straight to toddphillips.com. It's my name.com. I do some coaching and then all the monies that go from the coaching go to The Last Well. So if somebody comes in and coaches with me and, and, and there's a fee for that, then that, that just puts another well and preaches the gospel in another village. But it's a way I can keep teaching and pouring into people and still doing the job of raising awareness and funds for the mission we've got in Liberia. That is awesome. All right, guys, well, go check him out, toddphillips.com, thelastwell.org. And thank you so much for being an inspiration in our life and for blessing the people listening today. Well, let me say this before you, right before you get out, thank you guys for uh, taking a leap of faith, starting one life, having a passion for other people, pouring into their lives and doing the things that you're doing. Lean into that, swim in it. Don't let anybody uh, alter or thwart that passion. Oh, thank you so much, Todd. That means the world to us. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much, man. Have an awesome day. What a cool conversation. Man, Ty is such an amazing guy. I know. What a great guy. How cool is it that he encouraged us at the end of that episode? Really meant the world to us. It means so much. Todd shared so much wisdom, and I know his story inspired you as it did us. Yeah, so as always, we would really appreciate it if you head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating and review it. Man, that means the world to us. It really helps get the word out about the podcast. And for more information on today's episode, you can head over to our website, onelife.works. We'll have all the links to the books we talked about in today's episode. All right, guys, we're going to close it out as we always do. Remember, you only have one life. Live Live it it well. well.